the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. We've got another great program lined up today. We'll talk with John Schlafly in a few moments. His new column not only lays out some of what is uh, happening with the poll numbers in this country on uh, Biden and the presidency, but also it will uh, talk about uh, some of what the decisions are. And he highlights something that I'm going to talk about and what you need to know today, which is the power of the Biden presidency, even when... They're not passing anything in the legislature. So uh, we will uh, talk to John Schlafly. Also, we will visit with uh, our, our friend, Melanie Kirkpatrick, who wrote a book uh, that I liked so much called Lady Editor. It's a biography of Sarah Josepha Hale. Uh, but uh, also, Melanie Kirkpatrick, a few years ago, wrote a book called Thanksgiving, the Holiday at the Heart of the American Experience. And uh, we'll talk with her about Thanksgiving and uh, the history of Thanksgiving. Uh, she's a very cool lady. She was an editorial page editor at the Wall Street Journal, uh, and she's great to talk to. So we'll visit with her. Well, before we get to that, let me encourage you to visit ProAmericaReport.com. Uh, if you go there, you will see uh, it is uh, there's tons there, lots of links, lots of uh, uh <coughs> Excuse me. Lots of segments uh, from this program and lots to do. But also you can sign up for the daily email, which goes out every morning at 8 a.m. Uh, East Coast and 5 a.m. Pacific. It's called The Wink. What you need to know. Sign up there with your email address and get that in your inbox. And um, it is very useful because uh, what you need to know today and in those emails you get is a few links, a few comments, uh, a few key things so you can set up your day. Uh, but today I want to tell you in this opening segment what you need to know here on the Pro-America Report <clears throat> is this. What John Schlafly highlights in his um, column today, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> pardon me there, um, what John Schlafly highlights is the power of the imperial presidency. And back in May of 2014, the late Phyllis Schlafly, for whom I worked, she wrote her, her monthly Phyllis Schlafly report, and it was the title was Unmasking the Imperial Presidency. And in that, she goes through and catalogs exactly what was going on in the Obama administration. Here's the opening line and the opening line of her of her weekly Phyllis Schlafly report newsletter mailed out to tens of thousands of folks and one of the most effective newsletters ever in American history. Here's the first sentence. Imperial presidency perfectly describes what the Obama administration has become as it increasingly violates the limits on its power defined by the U.S. constitutions constitution. Now. Phyllis goes on to catalog how the Obama administration was ignoring the Constitution and doing what lots of things outside of their power. Here's what I wanted the parallel to today. For months, we've been hearing about how there's uh, dissension in the Democrat ranks in the U.S. Congress and that uh, Senator uh, Manchin and Senator Sinema are moderate Democrats and they will hold up all this bad stuff and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, at the beginning of the Biden presidency, with the help of Republicans for COVID relief, they passed trillions of dollars in, in pay, payouts. Just last week, two weeks ago, they passed the uh, so-called bipartisan infrastructure bill. Twenty percent of it is actually for bridges and roads. The rest of it is giveaways and money. One trillion, one point two trillion dollars. Now they're coming together. The Democrats, they will get together and they might not pass three point five trillion dollars, but they'll pass one point seven trillion. 
and they're just pumping money out and they're picking winners and losers and they're spending the money in priorities that don't make sense. And yet we're all sitting here saying, oh, wow, Biden's poll numbers are in the tank. Uh, you know, he's, he can't win re-election. He doesn't need to win re-election. He's transforming the country through his imperial presidency. And before you get, say I'm getting carried away, and it's Obama and Biden. Let me say clearly, under the Bush administration, Bush 2, W, there was a, a growth in the imperial presidency also. It generally had to do with the security state, but it also had to do with the bailouts that happened at the end of the Bush era and Bush terms. had to do with the power of, uh, of government, the regulatory power. And also even under Trump, the Trump, you know, in the, especially in the COVID era, uh, there was a rush to spend money to try to save things and, and, and bolster the economy and prop up businesses, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the imperial presidency, another term you'll hear people say is the growth in the in the administrative state and the regulatory state. It's completely out of control. It's, it's, it's opposite of what our founders expected. In fact, we'll talk with uh, Melanie Kirkpatrick about uh, uh, Thanksgiving. One of the questions I want to ask her is for the first, I don't know, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, states would choose, governors would choose their own Thanksgiving day. They didn't do it all federal holiday. They did their own things along the way. Well, we have a problem with the imperial presidency, and it doesn't matter that in a year there'll be maybe a change of the Congress. It doesn't matter because what Biden's presidency, the imperial presidency will do is they might not pass anything through Congress again, but they'll just keep doing the things they're doing, changing the rules, rewriting the rules, the regulations, the rules, rulemaking authority, not allowing people to access, for example, energy Oil, gas, natural gas, pick a topic. You know, you, you, you can use the power of the regulatory authority, the administrative state, to continue, imperial, continue your imperial presidency. And what Phyllis Schlafly was writing about in 2014 in particular was the fact that after a certain amount of time, and in the case of Obama, it got particularly egregious in his last term. But that seems to happen, by the way, to second-term presidents. But if, if, if Biden is a lame duck and isn't running again, he's just using it. He's going to get everything he can, do everything he wants to do. But remember this example when Obama said earlier in his uh, presidency that he could not do, congr- uh, um, he could not do uh, anything about some of the major concerns he had in illegal immigration and immigration and amnesty because he didn't have the power. It was Congress's. And then what did he do? A few years later, he said, oh, well, Congress isn't doing it. I know I said it was their authority. You know what I'm going to do anyway? I'm going to use my pen and my phone, and I'm just going to do it that way. Remember that? I mean, it used to be that we worried about the power of the growing power of the judiciary. I used to joke and use the phrase black-robed oligarchs, you know, being led. Our nation was led by these justices who were not supposed to be in charge of our country, and they were. It's still a problem. But right now... The runaway power in this country, the runaway power, the power that is changing the way we live and is a threat to our a threat to our republic more than any other misbalance, imbalance of power is the imperial presidency. And the examples, by the way, are remember under Obama, they started to use the IRS to target Tea Party groups. And then under Biden, they said, we just want tons of more money for the IRS. We're going to do lots of things. We're going to we're going to check everybody. We're going to start to dig into everybody. And they don't need that law to pass. They wanted the law to get more IRS agents, but they don't need the law to pass to do to use the IRS. They don't need any law to pass to have the FBI invade Project Veritas's home, homes, homes, multiple homes. They don't need more regulations or more laws or more rulemaking passed. They have a lot now. And as my example with Obama, when they get to the end of the line where they think there's a line, they'll just cross it. And they'll just wait. They'll wait you out. 
They'll figure you got to go to court. You got to fight it out in court. It's going to take too long. That's the reality we're facing. It's a big problem and it's getting worse. And it's one of the reasons why when people say, oh, yeah, we're going to win next year. We're going to definitely win next year. The conservatives, uh, Republicans will win the House and Senate and we'll change things. I'm not sure, A, you'll stop much of, of what's going on because they'll just become an imperial presidency with no Congress. And B, it's a long way off. It's a long way off. All right, let's take a break. We come back. John Schlafly, Melanie Kirkpatrick, and a lot more. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I'm excited to welcome back the author, Melanie Kirkpatrick. She has uh, also, she's been a journalist. She was over at, the, I think, the Wall Street Journal. So correct me if I get it wrong. Yeah, the editor, editorial page uh, there and a senior fellow right now at the Hudson Institute. She has a book that came out uh, this year, I think, called, called Lady Editor, a biography of Sarah Josepha, Josepha Hale, and the making of the modern American woman. Really interesting book. We had her on the show a while ago, but it um, got me reminded that she had written a book called Thanksgiving: The Holiday at the Heart of the American Experience. So I want to have her on to talk about that book. So Melanie Kirkpatrick, welcome back to the program. How are you? It's great to be with you again, Ed. And with Thanksgiving almost uh, here, uh, it's I love talking about one of my favorite subjects. Well, and you must, um, I, I did this to you on the show last time, so pardon my uh, ignorance, but when you read the book of Josepha, uh, of uh, Sarah Josepha Hale, she was, she's kind of the key person for Thanksgiving. Did, did you write the thanks, you wrote the Thanksgiving book first, and then you realized this woman who was so interesting and extraordinary, and then you went and wrote a book about her? Is that the order? Do I have the order yeah, correct? That, that, that's exactly right. I learned about Hale through my research for Thanksgiving. She's known as the godmother of Thanksgiving, Ed. And uh, in the 19th century, she was editor of the most popular magazine of the day before the Civil War, Godey's Ladies Book. And she conducted a campaign for 25 years to get a national celebration of Thanksgiving, because back then, states and communities celebrated individually, and they didn't coordinate on the date. And finally, Abraham Lincoln uh, listened to what she had to say, and in 1863, he called uh, a first national Thanksgiving that is, um, you know, now 158 years later, uh, still going strong. Well, and so because we all kind of know now that Washington declared it, but he declared that there ought to be Thanksgiving. He didn't declare this date, right? I mean, is that the the history? Well, Washington called a Thanksgiving. He asked the governors to um, oh. all coordinate on the date and so that all Americans could celebrate on the same day. But then uh, after Washington's two Thanksgivings, uh, the idea was dropped because presidents argued uh, that the Constitution didn't allow a president to uh, Uh. proclaim a national Thanksgiving Day, that it was uh, up to the governors to, to do that. So Lincoln comes along finally and says, without mentioning any of the constitutional challenges, just said, you know, let's do it. And he did it. And after that, every president followed his example until uh, the, the Great Depression in the 1830s, when Roosevelt called a Thanksgiving, but he changed the traditional date. And then... Mm. Um, 
half of the governors said they weren't going to go along with uh, Roosevelt's date, which they called Frank's giving after Franklin Roosevelt. <laughs> and uh, uh-huh. so for three years, the country celebrated on two different dates, half, about half and half. Finally, in 1941, uh, Congress made it official by passing a resolution, which Roosevelt set uh, signed into law, making Thanksgiving the fourth Thursday of November. Hmm. Uh, we're talking again with Melanie Kirkpatrick, and she is a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute and a, and a former uh, uh, editor of the Wall Street Journal. Her website is MelanieKirkpatrick.com, which is where you can look at, and I, I, I hate to encourage my listeners, you should buy the book, but if you're not going to buy the book, go there to her website because you can see her book on Thanksgiving, The Holiday at the Heart of the American Experience, and she writes uh, describing it and some of the things. By the way, one quick thing I, I always fascinated by, um, this woman that you wrote about, Sarah Hale, she was, I think I remember she was either just born or a year or two old when Washington was, uh, was, I guess, president. And then she lived for almost the entire century of the 18th century. I mean, <laughs> yes. you know, one of the things that, yeah, extraordinary all the way through, uh, Lincoln, right? She was, uh, so oh, yeah, she yeah. had she, this incredible she, uh, she, she timing. She lived uh, till, uh, Rutherford B. Hayes, 16 presidents. Mm. Uh, spanned her wow. life. So she was, uh, and you know, as the older she got and the bigger uh, celebrity she became and more influential she became, um, she corresponded with some presidents. So, uh, you know, huh. they wrote back uh, to her um, uh, explaining, you know, if she wrote him a letter explaining why, uh, what their view on Thanksgiving was and so, and so forth. But um, what, one of the fun things about Thanksgiving I had uh, when I was doing the research for it was um, I, and this was really an afterthought after I completed the masterpiece, the, uh, not the masterpiece, the uh, manuscript. And um, I, <laughs> well, it's a masterpiece I, too. It's yeah, a masterpiece yeah, I too. So, right. <laughs> At least in my own heart. Um, there you go. It, uh, um, I put together a section on historic recipes and that was mm-hmm. so much fun to do. And then I also did a section called readings for Thanksgiving day and they're short ex- excerpts from 400 years of American history about Thanksgiving, what people had to say about Thanksgiving. And uh, hmm. some of you know, the paperback edition of my book was, has just come out, but so it's been out uh, for a couple of years and people are telling me that they use that readings for Thanksgiving Day uh, on Thanksgiving Day itself and have hmm. family members and friends read excerpts around the, the dinner table. So I was very, very hmm. honored and pleased to hear that. Uh, again, we're talking with Melanie Kirkpatrick, and her website is MelanieKirkpatrick.com. I meant to say the uh, the book publisher is Encounter Books. There is a paperback version that's out just a few weeks ago this fall in 2021. Um, so you can get, uh, if you want to save a few dollars, you can get the, the book again, Thanksgiving, the, the Holiday at the Heart of the American Experience. Um, Melanie, has, thanks, has Thanksgiving escaped the modern cancel culture? Because you do refer to the fact that there were other moments where, as you, one was politics, FDR, but others, other times there were people that, you know, maybe the Native Americans who said, we don't want to celebrate. But has it dodged the modern cancel culture? I don't hear people trying to cancel Thanksgiving. Um, There are progressives who are trying to cancel Thanksgiving. And last year, there were episodes of uh, protests in a couple of Mm. cities and uh, defacing of statues um, but, you know, 
Ed, um, the holiday is just too popular. Uh, I don't <laughs> think it's going yeah. to succeed. Uh, but it'll be, it'll be interesting to see when President Biden issues his Thanksgiving proclamation, whether he makes reference to all of this. So um, mm. I'll, I'll look. It'll, it'll be interesting to see whether he, you know, bows to the progressives as he has on so many issues or whether he just sticks with um, what, you know, I think the vast majority of American people like. So we'll see. Uh uh, we're, again, we're, we're talking uh, with Melanie Kirkpatrick about uh, Thanksgiving and her, her book, Thanksgiving, the Holiday at the Heart of the American Experience. And I'm also referring back because I, uh, I, I enjoyed it so much. The lady editor, uh, Melanie Kirkpatrick's book on uh, Sarah Hale. Um, did when you when you track how Sarah Hale, it, it, she took it up as her cause. She was writing about Thanksgiving. Um, was the was the resistance to to having a national holiday residual to the time where they just didn't have national things like the federal government was not supposed to call national things? Because, as you point out, some states had it on different days than other places uh, didn't want to do it um, when it was uh, declared. You know, they is, is that was that why that was? I mean, it seems so obvious to us now, you know, we're going to have that, that that Thursday in November. It's going to be Thanksgiving. But right. is that why right. they were resisting? No, I, I think um, I, I'm not sure. You know, you, certainly, uh, uh, presidents and members of Congress use that as an as an argument. Um, governors took a, a bigger picture, and most of the governors with whom she hailed uh, correspondent liked the idea and wanted to do it. But the correct way to do it, and Hale even got at this, but she thought it would be too difficult to accomplish, was through legislation. And that's, of course, what ultimately happened uh, hmm. in 1941 when Congress passed that resolution. So um, uh, she just thought that she could get a, a president to make the declaration and uh, we could do it and then worry about getting it uh, passed by Congress, which uh, hmm. ultimately happened. Um, uh, Melanie Kirkpatrick, I jumped into all these kind of things I had, these notes I had, but I want to go back and say, what's the very beginning of this? I mean, what is the beginning of the Thanksgiving sort of what's the thre- what's the beginning of the thread that comes all the way through to today for uh, for America? If you want to go back to the very beginning, you uh-huh. need to go back to the Native American days of gratitude. And uh, President Reagan was the first to acknowledge their days of great gratitude in uh, as you know part of the history of the holiday, and that was in his 1984 Thanksgiving proclamation when he quoted uh, a prayer um, by the Seneca Indian tribe. But um, the the you know I would say the biggest the, after that uh, another big influence of course on the holiday is the what we call the first Thanksgiving in Plymouth in 1621, 400 years ago this fall. So um, and that was a um, certainly a religious affair, and Thanksgiving. That's probably the aspect of Thanksgiving that has changed the most. Um, it's mm-hmm. still religious in that um, I, I think um, in, people are thanking God for um, our many blessings today, but people don't go to church on the holiday anymore, for sure. Right. 
Um, yep. So that's that's a big difference. And the other big influence was um, uh, Sarah Hale's influence, as we discussed earlier. So, but there you know there are other threads too, and. Uh, the pilgrims, for example, the pilgrims and uh, the Indians did not become part of the holiday until the middle of the 19th century. That's really hard to believe, mm. but uh, yeah. uh, Sarah Hale didn't grow up with pilgrims and Indians uh, being in the Thanksgiving uh, at Thanksgiving dinner. Nobody knew about them back then. Hmm. Um, again, we're, we're talking uh, with Melanie. Uh, we're talking with Melanie Kirkpatrick. I'm, I'm looking at uh, the book, the, the, the one on paper, out on paperback, Thanksgiving, the holiday at the heart of the American experience, because it does describe there's readings for Thanksgiving Day and and uh, recipes on Bill's Affair. Um, one last question. I, I'd be remiss. Ken, you, you wrote editorials for the... Um, editorial page of the Wall Street Journal, which means you had to wade into hard issues. You had to write about them, argue about them. I've been on, I've been in editorial, I've been on editorial boards and in meetings and all, you know, you have, it's wonderful in a way. It's stimulating. How do you answer this sort of, it's kind of a media driven conversation now, but people go, I'm going to go to Thanksgiving and I'm still fighting my uncle George over politics, or I'm still worried about Aunt Judy's opinion of Trump is, have we, and and I watched uh, Andrew Sullivan on 60 Minutes say dramatically, you know, politics is now impeding into our personal life and it's just wrong. And I thought, I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure. Is it, is it worse now? Is there, what's your tips on how to get along with Uncle George or Uncle or well, Aunt Judy? Uh, my, my tip is, I guess, to um, <laughs> remember um, uh, the dignity of every individual. As we live in a coarse age, Ed, and uh, yeah. it's and it is a political age, but I I um, I look back to 1863 when Lincoln declared um, that first Thanksgiving, um, you know, where the, the, the predecessor of the one we celebrate today, and it was the middle of the Civil War for heaven's sake, you know, if if right. um, and in his proclamation, he it's a beautiful piece of prose, and I I can't urge you and listeners strongly enough to go and read that. It is a beautiful, uh, beautiful piece of prose and beautiful sentiment in it. And at one point, he talks about Americans coming together with one heart and one voice to mark this holiday. Mm. And if we could just come together um, uh, with that grumpy grandpa and <laughs> that, <laughs> right. uh, uh, you know, annoying auntie uh, and um, come together with one heart and one voice on this Thanksgiving day. Um, it would be a wonderful thing. And I hope our country can feel that kind of unity uh, in the future. Well, I encourage our listeners. The book, again, is Thanksgiving, the holiday at the heart of the American experience. Melanie Kirkpatrick knows how to write about this history, put it in context. But also, I'm kind of in, excited at, at your idea of these readings on Thanksgiving Day, which are in the book, and historic Thanksgiving recipes and Bill's Affair. Uh, that's great, too. So uh, that's if you're going to get in the right direction, uh, check out Melanie Kirkpatrick's book. Thank you very much, and uh, thanks for being on, and happy Thanksgiving to you. Thank you, Ed. Happy Thanksgiving back to you and yours. Okay, thanks very much. And by the way, let me say it again so you hear it. The, the website is MelanieKirkpatrick.com, and M-E-L-A-N-I-E, in case people need to misspell uh, Melanie, I'll spell it, but I'll put it up on social media. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. 
Welcome back. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Time to talk with John Schlafly. Now, John Schlafly, his column, the weekly Schlafly Report, sometimes it seems like a lot. We've been late catching up with him, a day or two later in the week. It posts on Tuesday evening, late in the afternoon, early evening, over at townhall.com. And so you're getting it here today. You know, you're going to get on that uh, and check out his column, which is uh, posted over there, townhall.com, and also archived at phyllisschlafly.com. And uh, I don't know if this is the final title of it. I haven't seen it on the website, Trump Takes the Midwest. But uh, welcome back, John Schlafly. How are you? Uh, I'm good, Ed. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you. Now, you go through this and you're talking about some of these polls, some polling. I mean, it's incredible how fast Biden has uh, uh, dramatically lost his approval rating, his popularity, confidence in the economy. The only one worse is Kamala Harris. Her numbers are worse than his. Um, But, John, uh, when you see this is, um, you know, Trump lost a lot of his numbers, any numbers he had within a year after the election. And and he, um, I mean, he took a drubbing in the midterm. Isn't that what we're facing? And when I say that, what I mean is um, you don't know what's happening three years from now. And more importantly, I was referring back to your late mother's column from 2014, talking about the Obama presidency. She referred to the imperial presidency. I, I'm not sure that these people who are president, including Trump, by the way, uh, you know, worry too much about Congress. They could do a ton of things, and Biden is doing it every day through the executive branch. So, um, you know, whether Trump's losing, uh, excuse me, Biden's losing the Midwest or not, does it really matter? Well, it matters. Now, to be fair, Ed, yes, so we've, we've, everyone has heard about the collapsing approval numbers for President Biden. And it's, uh, he's down to, what, 30-something, something odd percent. It varies from yeah. a bunch of polls, 37, yep. 38 percent. Now, of course, some of those people, if it really came down to it, even if they're disappointed with Biden, they'd end up right. voting Democrat anyway. So we've got to recognize that. Right. Uh, right. Uh, but still, then you combine that, Ed, with the generic poll for Congress. And that's, uh, you ask people across the country mm-hmm. if in the next congressional election they were more likely to vote for a Republican or a Democrat, and, a Democrat, and Republicans have a 10 point edge. I think that's the highest gap in history uh, for that particular poll. So, and you combine that with redistricting that's going on right now, and we're looking at a major shift in Congress in one year from now. And yes, well, Congress I, can I, do I, a lot, even with even yeah. without the White House. Yes, Congress can do a lot. Um, we're talking with uh, John Schlafly, the Schlafly Report. He and his brother Andy publish it each week. Um, John, uh, may may I pause for a moment? We'll go back to the column, uh, but ask you about the. Um, the the impact of those negative numbers, though, uh, you know, we watched a, a few days ago, they passed a trillion dollar infrastructure bill, 80 percent of which is just giveaways to special interest. They're gearing up to do another one point five trillion, one point seven trillion in the build back Brandon uh, uh, you know, bill. Um, you know, again, I, I say it again to you. Uh, you're, you're talking about 14, 15 months from now when you get a change in leadership in the House between now and then. I'm not I'm not sure it matters. They're doing they're doing all the damage they can do every day. The border's still wide open. It's still got tens of thousands of of, of illegal immigrants coming in every month. Uh, we now have uh, Todd Benzman of the Center for Immigration Studies is reporting on on some of the uh, national security threats coming through the border. Again, he wrote a book on that. Uh, you know, uh, uh, hurry up and wait for somebody to save us. And it feels like um 
it, it may be too late. Well, members of Congress do watch the polls, and I, I think that the collapsing poll numbers for the Biden administration will strengthen the hand of uh, Joe Biden and Kristen Sinema. And uh, yes, uh, the House may pass uh, the social spending bill, but it may not get past the Senate. Certainly, I mean, we, the, you know, the immigration measures were ruled out of order by the parliamentarian, and they came back with another version of that, and that'll be ruled out of order. So at least there's that. Now, you know, the border remains wide open, though. But I just remind everyone that the law hasn't changed, and all those people are not legally present in the United States, and eventually they'll have to go uh, because their status has not been legalized just because they're here. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they're on borrowed time, and once, you know, I I do believe that they're going to have to go. Uh, we're talking with John Schlafly. John, one more question. I'll go back to the column. Um, at this point in this presidency, uh, Biden, I'm not sure that any Republican needs to say anything or present any argument, Trump or or any uh, senator or House member, other than I'm not them. Um, because the bottom is going out so fast, you know, within hours of the so-called virtual summit between Biden and Xi, we had uh, President Xi and, and the communist regime flying a massive number of planes over Taiwan. You know, they were supposed to be supposed to be about you know getting along and all. And here they are flexing their muscles. Uh, and, and I wonder, John, at this point, uh, is it possible for uh, for us to expect in the modern era a two term president, meaning the, the the media sport becomes destroying the people in power and and taking them apart. Right now we watch or watching Kamala Harris being you know destroyed by CNN because I think they realize she can she can't win anything. Um, but I, I wonder if we're at a point where the the sport of the media is to take down those in power and uh, and and we may not ever see a, a two term president. Well, it's it's certainly not even-handed between the two parties. I mean, the 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 media is strongly in favor of the Democratic Party and the progressive agenda of Biden and Harris. Now, um, you say it, it, the fact that you know CNN unleashed a lot of uh, you know anonymous backbiting of Kamala Harris is an indication mm-hmm. that they feel she can't make it. Uh, she just doesn't have the capability that it takes, and that's alerting their friends that they need to come up with new candidates to succeed uh, Biden, and sooner rather than later, because they're, the Democrats are in a position now where all their leading figures are either too old, like Nancy Pelosi and, and the other leaders in Congress, or Joe Biden. Or they're simply can't hack it. And, you know, they, and, and of course, uh, Governor Cuomo in New York, who had been groomed for a national office, is now out of the picture. So who else have they got? It's a message that the Democrats need to quickly develop somebody. And, and I don't know who it's going to be. I think Gavin Newsom has been damaged. He wanted, he wants it. And it's yeah. not Beto O'Rourke. He's a buffoon. Right. So I, I, I <laughs> right. don't know who they've got. 
All right, back to your column. We're talking with John Schlafly. John's uh, column with his brother Andy, the Schlafly Report, posts over at townhall.com, our sister site, and uh, also archived at phyllisschlafly.com. John, in this piece, you talk about uh, the poll numbers and you talk about some of the never-Trumpers, but I was most interested in this notion of energy. Uh, it feels to me like... The energy problem, gas being gas prices being up, but the price of uh, uh, oil being up, which drives up gasoline prices, but also natural gas and others. Uh, do you really think, in the midst of this, you're talking about uh, a winter with real shortages of of gas and cold? Uh, you think that's really coming? Uh, well, certainly the, of course, if the if the price system is allowed to work. Uh, that's that's why we have prices. Is so supply meets demand, and the price will have to go up, and this is going to be hurting. Uh, many many people will be hurt by this, for both uh, transportation and home heating. So that's definitely coming. Now whether some areas will actually run out of fuel, which is threatened in Missouri on account of the shutdown of a pipeline, and in Michigan, where another pipeline is threatened with being shut down, uh, you know, we certainly have an administration in Washington which is hostile to uh, oil and gas. I mean, that's why they, they, we had the big confab in Scotland. They went mm-hmm. there and sent delegates uh, in, in order to, for you know, pretend that the whole world can get by without using oil and gas for fuel and transportation, which is a pipe dream. It's absurd. And yet, raising the cost of it while they pursue that, uh, uh, you know, the gold at the end of the rainbow, the, is, is, uh, is, you know, that's going to hurt many, many people, and that's going to come back to bite the Democratic administration, whoever signed on. Uh, Ed, you remember that when Nancy Pelosi first took over the Congress in 2007, mm-hmm. I believe, um, and eight, and then under Obama, nine and ten, she tried to put through, uh, you know, uh, draconian energy controls then. and But she couldn't get it through Congress then. And mm-hmm. she only she got Obamacare through, but had to stop there. Well, um, you know, so the Congress has not has still not passed a um, you know the type of serious limits on our energy usage. But the administration is going ahead to do what they can at the executive level, and the idea of simply having an agency uh, to disconnect a pipeline, which is what they're doing, right. and to simply right. say we're not going to renew leases for any more drilling on federal lands, which, of course, are millions of acres, uh, which contain oil and gas domestically. I mean, all of this is causing shortages of oil and gas and much higher prices, mm-hmm. and that's what we're facing. 
Yeah. And I don't see any will in the in this administration it's like these articles now that are being written that uh, Biden does have any doesn't have any tools to fight inflation. They're saying, you know, there's nothing you can do. One of them, you know, there's no will to change the direction on uh, on some of these policies, because if there was a will, you could immediately allow more drilling and more, you know, reduce some of the, the burdens to get some of this um, some energy to market and other things. All right, John, I got to run. John Schlafly, his column is over at townhall.com entitled Trump takes the Midwest. But there's a lot more in there than just a discussion of Trump's uh, policies. Uh, John, we will talk again next week. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Ed. All right. We'll take a quick break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Pro-America Report. Hey, so I want to give you an update on something I'm seeing. I'm not sure if you're seeing it well, but it sure looks like the Democrats are trying to get uh, a, a new choice to be the next president. Now you say, well, it's only 11 months, 10 months into the Biden administration. Well, it's pretty clear Biden's not going to run again if he lasts the whole term. But here's what's interesting. Uh, Kamala Harris's numbers are so bad. I mean, she's actually she's less popular than uh, Biden is. I mean, by a, by a chunk. He's at like 38% approval rating. She's at like 25%. She she can't do anything that's not really tin-eared. She doesn't look or sound right. She doesn't sound serious. So she doesn't seem to be an option. And the way you can tell it's really true is over the weekend, CNN had, I don't know, three, four articles on how she's not getting it done and she's not fitting in and she's not playing along. Now, when I first started to see those, I thought, well, maybe they're trying to position it that she's being slighted to give her some distance from the failing Biden. I think it's the opposite. I think it's Biden trying to get distance from her, his people. But here's where it gets interesting. Pete Buttigieg should have been doing a victory lap this weekend and been the guy who got a a trillion dollar infrastructure bill to control. At least hundreds of billions would pass through the transportation department where they, you know, green light things like, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, build this road or this highway and and build this federal building in this order. You know, the, the Department of Transportation, some of that money would be targeted to states by name, but it would be up to the Department of Transportation when to do it and how to do it. So it's a lot of power. Except, lo and behold, over the weekend, Joe Biden's White House announced that uh, the, the former mayor of New Orleans and former lieutenant governor, a man named Landrew, uh, I forget his first name now, the mayor Landrew, so I can picture him, a uh, bald-headed guy, his, his sister was a senator, and he has been named the guru of all the, of the infrastructure bill. So what happens here when suddenly the, the, uh, the rug is pulled out from under... Uh, the Buttigieg, Mitch, Mitch Landrew, Mitch Landrew is the guy who's been named. So, you know, so Buttigieg doesn't get to do the victory tour and the victory, uh, you know, deal where he's in charge. Um, but instead, it goes to Mayor Landrew, Mitch Landrew. I think I'm pronouncing his name right. Kamala Harris is getting iced. Who who's on deck? Who's up next? What are they what are they angling for? Because they're they're clearly CNN did piece after piece. I mean, three or four basically saying she's ill at ease. Kamala's ill at ease. She didn't get things done. She's not working well with anyone. She's got staff problems, this and that and the other thing. That's CNN. And then Buttigieg gets iced. So I was thinking about it and someone was saying, who could be next? I mean, is it a senator? Maybe it's Klobuchar, I guess. But the guy I have to tell you who I think is the obvious candidate who is going to be the one that they turn to to run for president is none other than the governor of California. 
And the reason why, don't forget, is because you have to have a candidate who can raise gobs of money. And being governor of California gives you access to tons and tons of money. They have to be tested, meaning they have to be vetted down to the last, you know, bottom, you know, bottom of the barrel. Which is certainly true of uh, of Newsom, who had to go through an election and then a recall. I mean, again, I don't I don't like his politics at all, not one bit. The other thing is, you've got to remember, politics, especially at that level, is all just a sales job. It's all popularity contest. That's the way phrase my wife uses. So you can say, well, I don't I don't like Newsom. We know him better, you know, out in California. We we know exactly who he is, but he looks better than. Kamala Harris. He looks better uh, than a lot of these people. He's got a you know a, a photogenic wife and some kids, and he's got all this experience. I think that's what's going on. I'll make the prediction right now. You're going to see Gavin Newsom be offered, not by him. He's going to look like he's reluctant. He's going to be offered as this sort of, oh, well, you know what? We need somebody who can be attractive to uh, the middle America, to people. And, and again, I, I don't think it will work because California's policies are too far out. But in terms of popularity contest, he looks and sounds better than Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, even Pete Buttigieg. He looks like a professor or Alfred E. Newman. Isn't that what uh, Trump called him? But something's going on. I mean, think about it. Who else is it? Cory Booker for president? I don't think so. You know, is there Beto O'Rourke announced that he's going to run for governor of Texas? And I want to say I want to reach out to Beto and say, Beto, man, you got to know the bad cycles are coming. You you're not going to win anything in Texas. Beto O'Rourke is not going to win dog catcher in his hometown. Not in 2022. There's no way. The energy's on the other side. He should have. Someone really gave him some bad advice. He should have sat that one out. But so who else is it? Who, you know, na- name a senator, name a uh, prominent governor who could be the one. Terry McAuliffe was supposed to be in that position, but he lost. So I, it, lo- it looks to me like they're clearing the decks and the obvious person they're clearing it for is Gavin Newsom. And I think I think the reality is that uh, he'd be competitive. Let's put it that way. He'd be the kind of guy that could raise the money and also have gone through the ringer and have the right kind of profile to get through a primary and then to turn around and say in the general, look, I'm, you know, I'm kind of a, I'm a dad and all this kind of stuff and try to soften some of the stuff. Because remember, Democrats in a national election start with a built in advantage. California, New York, four or five of those states that uh, Massachusetts deliver a whole bucket of electoral votes that are m- more significant in number than the Republicans who have Texas, Oklahoma, and a few others. It's a, it's just a bigger number that go to the Democrats. So all they have to do is go into a few places and sound, sound and look better than the other guys and raise the money and be able to withstand the crucible. Feels like that's what's going on. All right, everybody. Listen, thank you for tuning in today. I want to say thank you to Noah Dingley, our great producer, as always, for keeping things on track. Uh, Joanna Spilger for helping book our guests and you for listening. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there for the daily email and also listen to these great segments again. Pass them on to your friends and follow us on social media. We will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the ProAmerica Report. Talk to you then. Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.